This episode is brought to you by Bonjoro. I have literally sent over 3,000 Bonjoros. Every time someone signs up for my piano course, the next day, they'll get a short personal video from me, and Bonjoro is the tool that makes that process easy and seamless. And if you know me, you know how much I like easy and seamless. To get started with your free trial of Bonjoro today, go to bonjoro.com slash Jacques. That's bonjoro.com slash J-A-C-Q-U-E-S. Now on to episode 127, which is part two of two of our deep dive into having the right mindset to succeed with your online course business. Regular people are taking their knowledge and content, packaging it up in an online course, and they're making a living doing it. But not everyone is successful with online courses. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. And I'm here to help course creators actually succeed with online courses. Hi, I'm Jacques Hopkins, and this is The Online Course Show. And off we go. Welcome aboard. Glad you're with us. This is the online course show. I'm your host, Jacques Hopkins. And here with me is our co-host, David Crozy. Hey, Jacques. What's up? Hey, what's up, David? And we're excited to dive into all things online courses with you today. David, this is something I don't think you and I have done before. We are on part two of a two-part series of the podcast. Exciting. I am excited. So last episode, we did part one of all things mindset and kind of the poor mindsets and assumptions that people have about online courses and and the, the corresponding positive one, action steps we can do to maybe improve that mindset and whatnot. And, you know, this was never originally designed to be a two part episode. But what happened is we had nine or 10 of these listed and Last episode, we only got through one. Now, I, I would say it's probably the biggest one, and I think we can get through the rest of them in this episode. That sounds good. So before we get into it, David, I want to share with you and the audience a couple of things that have happened in my online course business in the past week. One is one is kind of a cool story, and the other one is kind of a, oh my gosh, I can't believe I was so stupid story. Which one do you want to hear first? Let's hear the bad one first. Let's hear the, right. the stupid one. Yeah, so... As far as the piano in 21 days business goes, I make money in two ways. And one of them is accounts for, you know, 95% of the revenue would be course sales, simply course sales. But I do make a little bit of money from affiliate income from Amazon from recommending pianos and keyboards to people. So I make between like 600 and $1,000 a month, depending on the, you know, like, like Christmas time, I, I'll bring in like $1,500. And then during the summer, maybe like, you know, four or $500 from Amazon. And I've been doing that for several years now. And it's just a way to, you know, have another income stream. And people also really appreciate getting my recommendations on that. Well, I was looking through my, my books and noticed that it seemed like the Amazon revenue was very, very low in February and in January. Come to find out I have not received that money from Amazon, the Amazon US affiliates for an entire year. Oh no. For an entire year. I looked back at my records. The last payment I could find was March 29th of 2019. And cause I, I get, you have to open a separate account for all the different countries you promote in. So I have a different account for Canada and England and France and Spain and Italy and so on. And so I, I do have a little bit of 
of income that's coming in from those other countries. But apparently I've not been getting my payment from the US store, which is by far my biggest one. And I think what happened is, is I opened a new business account about a year ago around that time frame, And when I was switching over where they should pay me, I just don't think it ever worked, right? They, they're showing a record of their, on their side in my account that they've submitted the payment to me, but I have no record of actually receiving it. And my first, in, my, my, you know, my first response to that is, how could I be so stupid to go an entire year without noticing this? And I just, you know, I, I want to share this story because, you know, I'm not perfect by any means. I can make stupid mistakes just like anybody else. And I just want to let this be a reminder to people listening, like, make sure you're watching, like, if you're expecting money to come in or money to go out, make sure you keep in a close tabs on it. And I've been work, working with a, a new bookkeeping service since the beginning of this year, Evolve Finance, and it's going really, really well, evolvefinance.com, highly recommend those guys. And it's because of their detailed reporting that I finally noticed that I wasn't getting this. So I, I hopefully have a decent amount of money coming to me from Amazon. Just over $8,000 is what I'm missing. Very nice. I guess. I feel really stupid, man. <laughs> <laughs> now, let's switch to more of a cool story. You ever heard of Marley Jacks? No, I haven't. She is a, she's a YouTuber and, and an influencer, Instagram, you know, YouTube, Facebook, has courses on, on video, uh, video marketing and YouTube and whatnot. Well, she was one of the speakers at the ClickFunnels conference. So a lot of people know who she is. I'm familiar with her, but I, I don't know her personally, or at least I didn't know her personally. And it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I would see her like pass by at the conference. I mean, there's 5,000 people there. People would stop her and like get selfies with her. You know, she was in the, in the ClickFunnels circles, in the, in the online marketing circles. She's, she's kind of a big deal. And so two days ago, I was checking my core sales and I had a, had a sale, you know, my, my piano course had a sale to somebody named Barley Jacks. And I was like, <laughs> you know, I get, I get sales from people with, with names of, of people I know. Like the other day I got a sale from somebody who had the same name as my brother-in-law. Well, I knew my brother-in-law hadn't actually purchased it. It was just, you know, the same name. So I was like, you know, Jax isn't, you know, it's J-A-X-X. It's not a super common last name. In fact, I think that's more of a stage name for her, but her email address didn't have Jax in it. And so I was, I did a little research trying to figure out if it was actually the same person or not. And finally I was like, screw this. Let me just email her. I was like, are you this Marley Jacks? And I, and I um, linked to, you know, marleyjacks.com. She's like, yeah, this, that's me. Like, I'm so excited to learn piano from, from me. I was like, I was like, no way. Like I was at the quick photos conference, you know, I love your talk and all this. Well, come to find out she's actually been on my email list for over four years. No way. She, she first joined my email list in early 2016. So that means she's been through like 12 or 13 launches from me. And she even said that she's like, every time you launch, like I've just, I've, I always want to sign up and I just, it's just never the right time, but now's the right time. I'm so excited that I finally signed up. It was really cool that, you know, I kind of, this is a person that I kind of looked up to, but yet she's been following my stuff for the past four years. That's awesome. She's officially signed up and started her lessons and she's big into like Instagram stories and whatnot. So I started following her and she's every day she's posting her progress of her learning how to play piano. And she seems, seems like she's making some pretty good progress so far. With awesome. the course. I'll check that out. I'll see what she's doing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So that was a, that's a, that's a little fun little story. So let's get into our content for today. 
David, last week we started this conversation about mindset and assumptions. And the one big one that we went over had to do with what you actually charge for your course, the money involved and the associated value as well. We've got some new ones to go over with the audience here today. Why don't you kind of kick us off and do a brief recap of last time and also tell, you know, tell people what they can expect as we go through these new ones here today. Essentially, last one, we could call that episode the causes and cures of a poverty complex, this idea that if people don't feel like they can charge the right amount of money, they're they're leaving opportunities to bring income in for their family, money that could go to whatever cause that they would like to help. And so just encouraging people to value their course and value what they bring to the table and not to overcharge, but just to charge the right amount. And so then this would be just mindsets, mindsets just trying to get over success limiting mindsets, poor mindsets. This first one, I say people want to reciprocate when they receive value through using affiliate links, Patreon, and sharing their excitement through testimonials and social media. Jock, you already mentioned affiliates, but I have to admit, like when I think about doing signing up and starting to do affiliates, I, I feel this tiny bit of uneasiness that people would think that I'm only recommending something because of this motive of making money. So did you deal with that at all as you started to do affiliate, recommend affiliate services? Yeah, sure, David. I think that's a natural response, but I made a decision very early on that I'm only gonna recommend things that I'm already using, right? And it's just kind of a bonus on top if they offer a nice affiliate program. So ClickFunnels is one of the most generous affiliate programs that I've come across. And they're, they're really good with helping you with the marketing and stuff too. So I don't just promote that because it's a, it's a great opportunity for myself and my business. I do, but I also promote it because it's one of the tools I use literally every day and I absolutely love. And so I have a list of tools and software and things that I use every single day. And some have affiliate programs and some don't. And I promote both. And I'm very transparent about that. And when something does have an affiliate program where I have a link, I'm transparent about the fact that that is an affiliate program. So the key for me is just being transparent about it. And so far, I think the audience has appreciated that. They've responded by continuously signing up for the various things that I promote. Yeah. And that's what I've observed. I mean, I, I have admired the way that you you openly say that you only only do affiliates of things that you recommend and use personally. You also do a good job of sharing why you believe in the products or services. So, yeah, I think you do it. Do it exactly right. Thanks, David. I appreciate that. And, you know, just take this podcast, for example, the two the two sponsors that we have at this point that kind of rotate every other episode are Deadline Funnel and Bonjoro. And you know, those are those are both tools I strongly believe in. I use every single day are vital to my business. And not only that, I've had the creator and owner of both of them on this podcast, and I know them personally. Yeah. This Patreon, I don't know how familiar most listeners are with this Patreon. I learned about it. I was on an, out on a bike ride with this group of my cycling teammates and somebody mentioned this younger lady on our team. They said, have you seen her modeling pictures and, and what she's doing on Patreon? And I was like, what is Patreon? And they're like, oh, she puts out these pictures and guys around the world like sponsor her to see more pictures. And I'm like, what? Anyways, I learned about it. And then I started hearing about it in various things that I listened to. So I listened to a podcast called What Should I Read Next? And she started mentioning her Patreon it looks like to join her Patreon, you pay $5 per month. It says on the Patreon site that she has 959 people 
that are doing that. And so that's $4,795 a month coming in. People get a little extra content for that or get early access to some of the stuff. The other one that I actually recommended that Jock, you interview is this guy that has a YouTube channel called What I've Learned. Mm -hmm. I looked at his Patreon. He has 670 patrons and price ranges between $1 to $25 per month. So it actually says on his Patreon that it's bringing in $1,636 per month. So I don't know, like, would you consider doing anything like that, Jacques? I mean, essentially, it's letting people know that if they appreciate what you're doing, they can sponsor you and and keep you, you know, just support you. No, Patreon's not something that I would do, at least not right now, knowing what I know about it. It's a very cool concept. And what, I don't know that you quite mentioned this, but in general, people are not putting up the money just to put up the money. And typically you get something in return right? Mm-hmm. So you get special access to things. And, and a lot of times it's YouTubers who are who are finding a, another way to monetize their content other than just with ads. And so they'll put up links to Patreon and they'll get access to exclusive videos that are only on their Patreon channel or, or other things. I mean, you mentioned the like model, right? I, I'm pretty sure that, you know, people that, that are on YouTube or even Instagram for modeling will put, you know, pictures on their Patreon that only their Patreon's can see exactly. and it's not any anywhere else. And so there is value that the the Patreon user is is providing to the people that are paying them there. So in my opinion, an online course is a far way, better way to go about that process, right? Mm-hmm. So inst- you know, I've got my Piano in 21 Days YouTube channel, that's how I started out. Well, instead of having an online course, I could have started a, a Patreon I guess, I don't know if they're called channels or whatever, and provided, you know, exclusive lessons there, right? But in general, you're going to, you're going to make far more money with, with just sending people to an online course instead. And typically you're going to be able to provide more value, a more complete A to Z system. And so while the model is kind of cool, I think in general, an online course is a better way to go. Sure. Well, I, I, I can understand what you're saying. I agree with it to an extent. I do think that like looking at your specific business, if you if you told people, if somebody did want to do a Patreon, it's like, number one, you can provide the person that becomes your patron some value. Mm-hmm. But I would also say you would want to share like, this is what we're working towards. This is what our family's working toward. Mm. You know, if you have a bunch of fans, they'd be like, you know, if you say we're working toward traveling in Europe this summer and we're going to be adding, doing updates while we're over there and all of our patrons will get to watch that. I could see where people would do that. And I could see in your model, I mean, like, again, if you were like $5 per month and you get access to like the Facebook lives that you do it, that you're doing to me, I, I support your mission and, and I would do that. So, I mean, each course creator's situation is unique, but I right. think, I think Patreon's a valid option. That's yeah, that's a really good point, David. I mean, the, the way that I've structured my businesses is for piano in 21 days. If you want to support that, you're buying the course. And for the online course guy, if you want to support that, then, then sign up for these amazing software platforms that hopefully you would sign up for anyway, using my affiliate link. And so far those, those two different models have worked, but there, there could be, there could be room for, for that. I appreciate the insight. Third one is just think that for course creators, it's hard to get in the mindset of asking for testimonials and reviews. I think that in general, the, our top concern as a course creator is that we're going to feel like we're harassing or kind of begging people for these reviews. We're a fear that if we send a message out to everybody that somebody actually might give us negative feedback and hurt our feelings. Mm-hmm. 
as far as how to implement and do reviews better, obviously you've asked a lot of the course creators, but what I see most work most often is like this feedback and review ladder where your first asking is just like, hey, you know, I would like to know how the course is going for you, how you're experiencing it. Can you rate it for me on a one to five scale? And then anybody that puts a five, like that's the one that you reach out to for a review. Any other tips beyond what you've said about no, testimonials I think and reviews? Mindset if you've wise? got a good product, then you shouldn't be scared of anything. I think at the end of the day, if you're truly scared to ask for reviews, then maybe you need to reevaluate what exactly your course is and, and the quality of your course. It actually took me a while to start reaching out to people and getting their feedback originally on that first version of my course. And I, and I think the main reason is because I was scared to see what they were going to say. Right. And there were, there were negative comments or positive comments as well. And version two, I, that's what made version two even better and version three even better and so on. And so the testimonials are great to help with your marketing and, and help get people to sign up. But they're also great at getting that feedback to make you and your business even better. Okay, so the next mindset, the uh, beneficial mindset is that people appreciate being guided to the best enrollment option. I say that most people, the, the two words, most people are the like most powerful words in sales. People like to like to do what most people are having the best experience with. The opposing poor mindset would be people should be given multiple options and just allowed to make their own decision, their decision on their own. And that's, you know, it seems like it's kind to just lay out the options and let people decide. Well, it doesn't. It, I don't know. Do you have any experience with this? It doesn't truly really work like that in, in the real world. I mean, if we take an actual example, I think what you're saying is people could go to pianoin21days.com and just like right there. Okay. See the three options they can sign up for and they can just pick one or they can, I can have them go through this nice elaborate funnel that guides them and leads them to the, the proper sale. And from experience, the latter works much better and people are, people are happy. Like I get very few complaints about my, my funnel. And I think it's necessary to build that relationship and that rapport, especially if you have a higher priced product. Mm -hmm. Well, kind of specifically, like if I go to a restaurant, I'm somebody that if I go to a restaurant picture, like most people, a lot of people have been to cheesecake mm -hmm. factory, but I mean, their menu is like what? 20 pages long. Like I'm always going right. to ask my server, like what, what are your favorites? What do you recommend highest? And it is a huge pet peeve if somebody, if a waiter or waitress <laughs> is like, oh, I haven't really tried anything. And I feel like it's a missed opportunity from a sales perspective, because again, if you open a restaurant, it's like you want people to have the best experience. There's a local restaurant here in town called the Latin King. And, you know, if you get there, they're going to tell you day one, like what we're known for is the it's called the chicken spadini. And the, that lets them, the more they tell people that, the more people have this great experience. And it also lets them keep that item in stock and as fresh as possible. So in the context of the course, it's like you have the three options in your course. The idea would be that when you present these options, you know, you've got that premium one. Let's say that the premium, what's your highest end package? Like what is it called? Called or cost? What is it called? The ultimate package. The ultimate package. So when you get to that, you would want to say most people and then something in the ultimate package. And so I know that you have this song, strong sense of ethics where you want to do it. Like if you're not selling the most of the ultimate package, you wouldn't want to say like, this is our most popular package. So then you would say now the ultimate package, 
most people find that most beneficial. They get the best results with that. And that's 100% honest. But I'm telling you like that just the people that are listening, they say, okay, well, yeah, if most people are having the best experience with that one, I should do that. And then ultimately, ultimately, your ultimate package becomes your most popular item. It's like, let people know that most people choose this one. They love it. I just think most people is like the most powerful two words. I like that. I, I, I probably should use that more because the ultimate package, my most expensive package is my most popular option. It, not just in revenue, but in, in total number of sales as well. And I don't think I really ever say that. I just talk about how, you know, how great of a value it is for the money, how much you're actually getting. But I never, I don't think anywhere in my marketing actually say that most people are signing up for it. And I think that's just one thing that I could add. Yeah. Here's another example. Let's say that you were having a bunch of people like default on their payment plans and you're like, man, I'd really like to have less payment plans coming through. Your payment plan ends up being like $600. Is that correct? Yeah. Close to it. Right. So $497 one-time payment or $97 a month for six months. Okay. So let's say a bunch of people were defaulting. You could get to that point and you would say, all right, so we have a payment plan option. I just want to let you know that most people still go ahead and do their own payment plan, so to speak, with their credit card. If you do my payment plan option, I have to take the risk, the risk and it adds up to $600. If you put it on your credit card, $497, even at 18% interest, if you pay that off in six months, you only end up with 24% interest. And so most people learn those numbers and they just put it on their own credit card and pay it off in six months and save $75. And, you know, I mean, that might be the difference where your, your payment plans go down and you get more of those, those sales. And if you were having a bunch of defaults, it could improve that. David, I might need to uh, st- like just hire you as my marketing coach. You know, these these are great. These are getting the the head my, the wheels turning in my head because if I could take that a step further, you know, there's this thing called PayPal credit, and I'm pretty sure they offer interest free for six months. So instead of saying a credit card, I could say, you know, guys, if you if you don't want to pay this extra money for my payment plan, sign up for PayPal credit and do your own payment plan interest free, and you're not going to have to pay beyond the four ninety seven. Yeah. And just, yeah. And then normalize, you're trying to normalize a behavior that's good for the, good for your customer. And at the same time is good for you. And it is. So just let them know. Most people think this sounds like a great idea. So love it. Thanks for the recommendations. Definitely. All right. Our next one is it's the, the beneficial mindset would be strategies such as scarcity and deadlines, encourage people to make mutually beneficial decisions. It helps them. It helps the course creator. The opposing poor mindset would be strategies such as scarcity and deadlines are purely manipulative. So I know you've talked about this in the past. Give us your take on scarcity and deadlines. This one's exciting, man, because this one this one gets people riled up probably just as much as that very first one about pricing and value. I obviously have an evergreen funnel. I use deadline funnel. My go-to expert on on all things, you know, scarcity, evergreen scarcity, and all that would be Jack Bourne, the creator of Deadline Funnel. I think it was episode 96 he was on, one of my favorite episodes so far. And so if anybody's concerned about this topic, definitely listen to that because his insights are amazing. You know, when I when I first heard about Deadline Funnel, I thought that type of software would be created by somebody kind of sleazy and scammy couldn't be further from the further from the truth the most ethical and genuine person that you'll come across and he recommends that you say things like not like don't say things like 
the card is closing for everybody at this time, or, you know, this offer is going away, you know, period. Say things like, your ability to buy this will end at this point. Because that is 100% true when you use something like Deadlight Funnel. That is a, it is a personal launch for that person and their ability will no longer be there. And if it's true, if, you're, if, if, if you say it's gonna close at Friday at midnight, you will not be able to buy Friday at midnight and then they still can? Well, that's, that's where the, the unethical part comes in. But if you use the language for that particular person, and then everything that you say is true, then in my opinion, that's the right way to go about doing evergreen marketing and sales funnels. Yeah, I've, I've appreciated hearing you talk through it on the some of the past episodes. And yeah. I agree with that. I think that I think that it, it can help people make decisions. Again, the analogy that helps me understand it is like there are deadlines everywhere in life, there's a deadline to sign up for college. And if there was no deadline, people wouldn't take this action that ultimately, <laughs> yeah. it ultimately takes them to a better place in life. I guess you and I talked about college last episode some. The other things as far as implementing it, I feel like everyone should be able to create some scarcity in their marketing or within talking about their launch. So number one, I mean, you can just say prices are going to go up. At some point they are, it might be two years down the road, mm -hmm. but for the person that's watching that webinar, I would just leave it vague and just say, you know, here's the price today, um, prices will be going up and just leave it at that. And the person doesn't know if you're spiking at $400 or if it's going to go up $50. Yeah. But on the, you know, at the same time, some people will say, you know, the price will go up to this amount on this date. If you're, if you're using exact terminology like that, then you better actually do that. Yeah, exactly. I do agree with that. One more thing related to this is, you know, I mentioned Marley Jack signing up earlier today. I mean, just to, to show you that deadlines work and not just work to get people to sign up, but actually to, to engage with your program and start going through it. You know, Marley Jack signed up in the 11th hour of, of the launch. <laughs> and I looked back at my email history with her and several times she emailed me like on the last day of the launch or the day after the launch. And, and she would say like, I really want to sign up. I'm going to sign up next time. Like I got, uh -huh. so I got several emails from her looking back through my inbox and this time it worked. Now, you know, the things are going on in the world. Like a lot of people are staying home right now. So that's probably why she ended up pulling the trigger right now. But ever since she signed up, she has practiced every day and it's only been like three days and she's already playing. So like she posted a video of her playing Don't Stop Believing by Journey on uh. her Instagram and singing along with it after three days in the program. So she's so motivated. She's so jazzed up. And if I didn't have that deadline, like she's probably not learning piano right now. That's awesome. The other thing as far as implementing, I feel like everybody should be able to offer some kind of a bonus if the thing is bought within a certain amount of time. Mm -hmm. But Jacques, I was wondering if you could give just a brief explanation, like when people watch your webinar, if they buy by the end of the webinar, they get a bonus. But like, is there a short version of how that works? Like, how do you know if people bought during the actual webinar? I do have the analytics to be able to tell when they bought and compare that to when and if they watch the webinar. So I do tell people if they buy by the end of the webinar, they get the physical package mailed to them and they pay in full. The way that I handle it is, is if anybody is, is, you know, thinks they deserve the physical package, I give it to them, right? So any gray area at all, I give it to them. So really, you know, the, unless somebody is buying at that 11th hour on the close of the cart, then it's pretty clear that they probably didn't 
purchase during the webinar, you know, unless it's them, then they pretty much will get a physical package. Hmm. Okay. Do you explain then your, your deadline funnel, your new webinar strategy? Do you explain how you would know if somebody bought during the actual webinar? No, I don't explain that, but it's probably something that I could include in the future in a course or something. Okay. That'd be awesome. Yeah. All right. And then other than that, I mean, as far as the scarcity and deadlines, the other thing to implement is just to offer a guarantee. And if somebody buys mm-hmm. because of the, the deadline and then they're not satisfied, you're able to give them their money back and, and nobody really loses. Excellent point, David. Not satisfied or weren't truly ready. Because I've certainly had people come come through and be like, look, Jacques, I, I, I need a refund. I want to take you up on your offer to refund it. I made an impulse decision. And I'm just not ready to take the course. Mm-hmm. Fair. You get your money back. No problem. All right. So my next mindset is the beneficial mindset is that different people like different payment options. The poor mindset or a mindset that could limit your course's growth is this assumption that the payment option that would that you would personally want as a course creator is what everyone else would want. I would say that in general, we tend to see the world through our own lens. So like Jacques and I, we're actually probably pretty anti-debt people. And so I know that personally, like the idea of having people take out credit to like buy my course, I don't know, it's, it's not ideal. I don't know. I think in this situation, though, you just have to look at the facts and and 69% of Americans have less than $1,000 in savings. And so essentially, people do need payment plans often. I don't know. Do you have you had to overcome this mindset at all, Jacques? Sure. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, we're, we're both pretty anti-dead. We're both like, you know, Dave, Dave Ramsey advocates. We both listen to like the Choose FI podcast pretty into that space. And so, and, and, you know, pay, paying off my mortgage and, and not having any debt was big into my the, my story in, this, in my success in allowing me to quit my job and so on. So I did fight that for a little bit because when you offer a payment plan, you are essentially turning yourself into a bank that has to come after, you know, people that owe you money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, because people, people, will, people will email me and be like, look, Jacques, I want to cancel my subscription. You know, don't charge me anything else. And I have to explain them like, look, this is not a monthly membership. This is not just come and go, you know, like a gym membership. And I have to explain people, this is more like a debt that you have, that you're paying off. Mm -hmm. And for one reason or another, people didn't get that or they forgot that. And I've, I've actually recently put in some additional information right at the beginning for people. They get a special email when they sign up for the payment plan, just really laying out exactly what they have to do. So I'm excited to see how that, because I I just hate when people are confused down the road of what they actually signed up for. Absolutely hate that. But when I have to explain people like, no, this is more like a debt you have to pay off. And I'm, I'm the, you know, I'm the creditor that, that does give me some uneasy feeling. But like you said, I mean, we've got to, we've got to allow people to pay in whatever way they want to pay. I mean, some people, Probably some people maybe just like to have a, a monthly expense versus a, a, an all up front expense, even if they could afford it. I know sometimes, depending on how much extra I'm actually having to pay, I'll go with the payment plan option just to spread it out, just you know, for the sake of managing my monthly budget. Yeah. On that note of people, to some extent, I'm going to tell you that people are going to be confused no matter what. (laughs) My friend Brandon, he got a job where he goes out and checks in cars that have been on lease for like three or five years. And he gets out there and checks them out. And uh, the car is like super clean. And the, the person that's had the lease, they, my friend Brandon told me, they say, so do I get my entire deposit back? And Brandon just stands there and he's like, no, He's like, you're, 
they think that it's like when you sign up for a rental apartment mm-hmm. and you pay the you know one month deposit. And he's like, that's not how it works. That money that you paid at the start of the lease, like even if you keep the car perfect, you don't get it back. And I was just cracking up. I was like, oh no. Like, so yeah, I mean, even if you make it super clear, like some people aren't going to pay attention, I think. That's true. But at before what I implemented recently, all I had to go back on was the information in my sales presentation. Whereas now what's happening is, is when they sign up for the payment plan, they get an automatic second email in addition to the welcome email. Like, look, here's the payment plan. Here's exactly what you signed up for. Here's what you can expect. You know, this is not a monthly membership. And that way, now there's something we can always look back on if, if there's ever any dispute or argument. But like, look, look back at this email when you first signed up. This explained it all. And so I implemented that a couple of weeks ago. And I'm excited about just having some even if it's just a little more clarity for people, if it's, if it's some more clarity, then I'm excited about that. No, I agree with that. Let's see here. You recommend the service stunning, correct? Yes. Yeah. And that only works to, that only works with Stripe, which most people would be accepting payments from Stripe. But yeah, stunning helps you to automatically send out emails to people to update their credit card information if they get failed payments. Sounds good. Yeah. So The only other thing I had is just, you know, again, you're trying to provide people with these payment options that work best for them. Always try to make it as frictionless as possible. So simple, simple Mm -hmm. and smooth and easy is, is the name of the game to make it easy for people to sign up for your course. Agree. I agree with that, David. Love it. All right. Our next mindset is if a strategy works for others, it will probably also work for me, but it may not work for me on the first time. The poor mindset would be if I tried a strategy once and it didn't work, it just doesn't work for me. And we've heard this on a few recent or we've heard it on a couple different recent of your interviews. And just as we talk, but I mean, it's easy to think, especially if you try a marketing strategy and it doesn't work, that it just doesn't work for you. I don't know. What do you think of that? Yeah, I love this one. I mean, what if you know, in general, product launch formula works, right? That's where you have some pre-launch videos leading up into your open cart period. And then you have an open cart period and a closed cart period. So if you have a course and you're, you're like, okay, I'm going to do a launch like this. It works for so many people and you do it and it doesn't really work. Then it could be easy to be like, well, you know, PLF just doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Well, there's, it's just so much more complicated than that. Maybe, maybe video one was horrible. Maybe video three was horrible. Maybe there was something in in one of the emails between like there's just so many factors involved to where to where you can't just blanket say PLF it doesn't work for me. There may there may be a lot more to it than that. Exactly. But yeah, I mean the reason that this is really easy to get in that mindset is like you wasted money. I mean, it's painful when you spent money on a marketing strategy, invested a bunch of time and it didn't work. Essentially implementing and and getting around this, I mean, the top thing is just studying the best practices. So whether that's funnel hacking, Facebook ads is something that a lot of people like they'll try it and they're like, it didn't work. There's a website called bigspy.com. That's B-I-G-S-P-Y.com. And essentially with that, you can get on that website, you type in like Jacques, you would you would type in, you know, learn piano and see what all the other people, what all the other Facebook ads are around the world that target that particular search term. So you can research other people's um, ads. And then uh, the biggest thing with the Facebook ads is you're looking for ads that have tons of comments and likes and shares, and then you want to model after that. The other thing I would say is that, especially with the marketing, if you try some marketing, you have to realize that it takes repetition for people to take action. And so if you go into marketing and you do 
do just a, a week trial or a month trial of Facebook ads, you need that retargeting. You really need to research and learn about retargeting because people might see your ad, but just like Jock was talking about with your new Instagram star that's your fan. What was her name? Mar- Marley Jacks. Marley Jacks. Yeah, four years. So yeah. you want to get them on your list is ideal, but if you don't have them on your list, you want them to see your Facebook ads for a little while and you do that through retargeting. Very true. If I could offer one more example that just came to mind about about you know trying something and just blanket saying it's, it doesn't work for me, I had that attitude with Google Ads. At the time, it was called Google AdWords. And I just felt like... Google ads would be good for me and my business because people are constantly searching for terms around learning piano, whereas uh, Facebook ads are more interruptive and you're not, you're not, it, it just seems like a perfect match when if, if somebody's searching, how do I learn piano or how do I learn piano quickly for me to have an ad up there? And I didn't truly understand Google ads at first. I thought you could just put like one ad and target one search term and, and I wasn't getting a positive ROI. And so I just threw up my hands and said, Google ads is, can't work for me. It's never going to work for me. Well, in reality, I just wasn't doing it right. And it wasn't until I actually learned how to do Google ads and then eventually outsource it that Google ads actually did work for me. It's just that I wasn't doing it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my last part of implementing that is it goes along with that exactly. But if you do a marketing thing and it doesn't work, it could be that your price point is too low, too low for you to actually get the return on investment. So mm-hmm. If you feel like that's going on at all, you got to go back and listen to that last episode. But, you know, you have to have a price point high enough to justify the ad spend. Yep. Our next mindset, the beneficial mindset is that hiring, hiring employees and outsourcing to contractors can free up my time for what is really important and create better results than if you did it alone. Poor one, the poor ones would be I tried hiring someone and it just didn't work. And or it would be if I outsource, I lose control and I don't have trust in other people to do things right. So what's your take on that? Well, when, when I go on other podcasts and people, people are interviewing me, and if they ask the question, like, what, what would you have done differently? What would you have started sooner? I almost always will say outsourcing, right? Because I, I, it took me a while to do it. It took me a while to trust other people to work inside of my business. But once I started doing it and getting positive results for it, for it. I mean, as many of you know, I'm, I'm kind of addicted to it because it can be so, so powerful. I think the biggest, the biggest thing I hear from people is like trust, giving, letting other people, you know, put their hands inside of your business and actually trusting people. When in reality, if you, if you do it right and you find the right people, then they're going to do certain things way better than you could have ever done. You know, like Emily, Emily does so much for my business, my executive assistant, like just take one small thing that she does. She does a lot. She does the show notes for this podcast, right? So this is this is episode 127. And so you're going to be able to go to the show notes, theonlinecourseguy.com slash 127. And she, she'll write that top to bottom. She's fully responsible for that at this point. And I'm not a writer. Like my, sh- you should, like, my show notes <laughs> for this episode would be like, hey, we talked about mindset. You know, me and David had a good time. You're going to enjoy it by Jacques. Like that's what my show notes would be like. And hers are so thorough. She puts timestamps in there, this and that. So she does a far better job with it. And then it also frees up my time to work on things that do need me that I am actually good at. So those are the two big things about outsourcing is, is is typically somebody will be able to do it better. And at the end of the day, cheaper because hopefully your time is, is more valuable spent elsewhere. 
Yeah. And as somebody that I've had a, uh, quite a few employees, but when an employee comes in and works for you and then they leave, a lot of times they leave in a way that like hurts, hurts. I mean, like mm-hmm. trusting somebody and then having them leave, it leaves scars. You often feel lied to, cheated, stolen from. I admit that I, at various times, I've fallen into a mindset of more staff, more problems. I encourage people just to get over that. I will say that from a mindset perspective, you should recognize that having great employees starts with being a great boss. You've mentioned the, the book Good to Great by Jim Collins. Right. My favorite one on that in that book is this window in the mirror analogy. So again, this book, they, they interviewed all these like 16 CEOs of companies that by far outperformed the, mo- the market and they found out what they had in common. They found that a lot of them do this window in the mirror philosophy is what it says. And it says, when great CEOs, when their companies are doing great, they look through the window and they say, like, of course, we're doing great. Look at all the people around me. When things are going poorly, they look in the mirror and they say, how am I not leading this ship right? Like, what am I doing wrong and how can I be a better, better leader of this company? So I do have like five rules for myself as the, the business owner. Would you like to hear Oh yeah, that's that's great. I love, I read Good to Great years ago, back when I was working. I thought I was gonna go up the corporate ladder and I wanna share a different anecdote from that book. I had forgotten about the one you just shared. So that's a really great reminder and I'd, I'd love to hear these five things because you you have an interesting perspective, David. I mean, you've got an online course business, but you've also got an in-person chiropractic business and you've got you know people working for you there at your brick and mortar store. Exactly. And I'm not sure exactly how a a course creator would implement these with somebody that's across the world. So yeah, these are five rules. The first rule is the manager's job is to give clear expectations. The The employee's job is not to make the manager a nag. And so I know that sometimes employees feel like bosses want to nag, you know, it's like, and then sometimes managers feel like, feel like they have to nag all the time. It's like, if you have an employee that's not getting something done, like start by looking and seeing if you've given them clear enough expectations. And then I actually let my employees know, I'm like, I never want to nag you about this. Like rule number two is fix systems, not people. And so this should go along with Jock with his project manager role. But essentially, let's say there's something that I asked my employee to do here at my office and it's not getting done. Rather than coming to her and saying, why aren't you doing this? I come to her and I say, okay, there's this thing that's super important. We need to do it every day. What is the system that we can put together where this gets done every single day? And again, way less confrontational and we work together. And sometimes it involves post-it notes. Sometimes it's an old school, old school solution. And sometimes it's uh, something more technology based. Rule number three is don't be like Michael Scott. (laughs) Are you the office fan at all? (laughs) Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Like this one, it doesn't come up all the time. But the one that I remember, so I hired this young lady and she was like a national champion swimmer down at Drury College in Missouri. At the time, we would do these promotions where if somebody wanted to come in as a new patient to my office, they would basically be able to donate money to a good cause. And then we would do a discount initial workup. I came up with this idea and it was this, this young lady and I, I was like, Abby, like, let's have a swim race. And then all the patients can like basically bet money on who's going to win and what the time is going to be with a $5 donation to Special Olympics. And when I first brought it up to her, she was laughing, seemed like it was a good idea. And then I was like, all right, so let's schedule our, our, our 200 IM individual medley swim race. And she was just kind of acting like she didn't want to do it. And so I started harassing her. I'm like, come on, what are you, chicken? 
all of a sudden I looked in the mirror. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is Michael Scott. Oh, I'm Michael (laughs) Scott, big time. Like it was an episode. So anyways, I went to her as soon as I realized that I went to her and I said, listen, like, you know, when I first mentioned this, you seemed like you thought it sounded fun. Now you're not really seeming like you want to do this. What's the deal? And she said, you know, I just feel like I'm too slow. Like I, I would be, you know, half as fast as my college times. And she said that would drive me bonkers. And so I was like, all right, if you want me to never mention this again, I won't mention it. And she was like, I really don't want to do it. And so (laughs) don't be like Michael Scott. If it feels like the office episode, just stop. Number four is say thank you a lot and in in the way most meaningful to each employee. So I love the book, The Five Love Languages. We did an entire episode on that. But you can also ask your employees, how do you like to be thanked? Just ask them point blank when you hire a new person. My wife got a job at this hospital and they put that on her initial paperwork. She wrote down dark chocolate covered espresso beans and kombucha. And so you would think that people like to be thanked with more money. But honestly, my wife is not driven by money. I mean, she'd rather have some kombucha and some dark chocolate espresso beans. So you don't know unless you ask. Sounds like... That sounds like a good combination. I could go for those right now. Nice. (laughs) Number five is don't hire an Eeyore and try to turn them into a Tigger. Hire a Tigger and watch Mm -hmm. them bounce. So, (laughs) I mean, the reality is that there's no amount of bonus or profit sharing that will turn like a donkey into a thoroughbred. I mean, you want somebody that, that is excited about your mission and your cause Interview questions that could help you figure that out. It's like, what's your favorite thing to do on your time off? And just see if they're passionate. See if they're passionate about anything. What are you most passionate about? Why do you want to work here? Personally, I want people that are excited about the mission of my 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 office or my course. So love it. Man, those are those are really good. I like the one especially about systems because I've noticed that when somebody I work with maybe didn't deliver exactly what I wanted. A lot of the times it wasn't them. It was either the system or my, you know, original direction or instructions. And so, uh, you know, a lot of times I'll, I'll just have to go back and tweak my system and, and then things are better. But yeah, cool list, man. Appreciate you sharing that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Where are we in this process? So we can go ahead and jump, jump up to number eight is, My true fans who are likely to enroll want to hear from me regularly. My poor mindset would be sending emails more frequently than monthly will feel like spam. As far as why people feel that way, I mean, some of us get emails from people that we're not thoroughly involved and excited about what they are talking about. And we have have some deep-seated fears that we would fall into the annoying category in people's lives. Essentially... I would say that, you know, you have to remember that people have an unsubscribe button. Mm -hmm. So if they're on your list, they want to hear from you. A funny story recently, my buddy, my buddy, Sean, he was doing online dating and he met this girl on Bumble, which is apparently the very popular new online dating app. I was like, so is she into you? Are you guys dating or what? And he's like, well, we hang out and we hang out alone, but I can't really tell. (laughs) And I was like you guys text and stuff. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, Sean, I was like, I was like, you met her on Bumble. You guys are hanging out one-on-one. I'm like, she, she's single. I'm like, all, all, all signs point to that. You know, she'd be interested in dating you. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was giving him tips. I'm like, you know, next time you want to hang out, just say, Hey, can I take you on a real date? Anyways, he had been friend zoned 
I feel like sometimes people sign up to our list and we're kind of like, well, I don't know, like, do they want to hear from me? It's like all signs point to yes, right? I mean, they signed up for your list. They have interest. Mm -hmm. And if you don't send emails on a somewhat regular basis, then you risk risk them losing interest, just like when somebody kind of gets friend zoned and then it just goes away entirely. Yeah, I don't get my he- my feelings hurt in the least if somebody unsubscribes from my emails. In fact, I want to be polarizing. I want people to either buy or unsubscribe, right? Because I, you know, you pay money for the amount of people that are on your email list. And so when somebody first signs up for in, like in Piano in 21 Days, in the first two weeks, they're going to get probably more than 14 emails. And so I'm okay with people unsubscribing because they probably weren't going to buy anyway. I, what, I, mm-hmm. what I really don't like is the people that are like, come on, dude, like stop sending me so many emails. It's like, no, you come on, dude. If you don't like the way that I'm doing things, unsubscribe. It's so easy. And so we've gotten to a point in the business where if, if anybody complains to a certain level, we'll just manually unsubscribe them and not even reply, right? There was a point where I would like come back to them and be like, dude, if you don't like this, just unsubscribe. But now we just manually do it. And then once they get through that initial launch period, then it is more like somewhere between weekly and monthly. But that's the thing. It's like people, people have the ability to unsubscribe if you're doing it too much. But you also want to make sure that you are sending the right type of stuff, the right type of stuff for your audience, because I've been on so many other people's email lists and and almost everybody I eventually will unsubscribe for one reason or another. But just to give you an example, you know, I think I've been on Pat Flynn's email list for, for seven years because I just think he does things so right. And so there are certain ways you can do things to where you've got fans for life. How often do you get an email from Pat Flynn? Pretty much once a week. He's got this weekly digest where he'll send out, okay, there was this podcast episode. I guess he's got multiple podcasts. So he'll kind of summarize the different podcast episodes that came out that week, what's been going on that week. But then you'll get additional emails when he's promoting certain things as well. I can only imagine how big his email list is, but it's minimum once a week. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you, so if a course creator was out there and they're like, oh man, I don't want to jump up to once a week. I might annoy my people. At some point I opted into this guy named Ted McGrath, his email list. And I mean, it's like daily or every other day. And for some reason I just stay, I stay on his list because I'm like, I'll watch the subject lines. And it just kind of cracks me up how much he sends out. But, you know, apparently it works for him. I don't read the actual emails. I don't know, but Yeah. Do you have anybody else that you've opted into that you're like, oh my gosh, this is a lot of emails? A lot of emails. I don't know because I like, I am super clean with my emails in my email inbox. So if it gets overwhelming and I just can't keep up, then I'll just unsubscribe. Like I'm, I'm big on that. So at this point, no, certainly not because, because if if that were the case, I would have already unsubscribed. Okay. One of the last ones here is I will never run out of people to buy my course. Poor mindset Mm -hmm. would be eventually I will run out of people that will buy my course. So that was, I like this one. I think I added this one to the list, David, because I think it was, somebody told me this years ago, like maybe my mom or something. And and they were like, you know, eventually you're going to like run out of people to be able to market to, and that would actually be able to buy your course. And, and I've heard other people mention that. I know, I think Caitlin Pyle mentioned that on, on when I interviewed her on the podcast, it's like people have told her that before, but in reality that, that is a scarcity mindset. Right. And because we have, a global economy, we're teaching through the internet. Like there's, 
there's literally no limit, right? If you lived, if you're a chiropractor and you're in a town of six people, there's a limit mm -hmm. there, right? There's a limit to how many people you can serve, how many customers you can have. But since you have a course that is, I guess, I guess your course is, is national and not global. Is that no, it is global. I have, it two, is global. I have two enrollments in Australia and one in Canada. They were I awesome. remember, I remember when you got your first international sale. Oh, I forgot, I I so forgot about that. Yeah, no doubt. Okay. So both of us have global audiences. Like there's a constant stream of people entering, like for me, for piano, there's a constant stream of people entering like the want to learn piano. And there's, there's, there's people exiting that as well. And there's, you know, obviously always people being born and this and that, like, I'm literally never going to run out of students. Like, it's just fact. It's not going to happen. <laughs> and I mean, along that same line, I mean, like there is room for more than one course to have success, especially yep. when you do look at it from a global perspective. I mean, what's across the street from every McDonald's? Another fast food restaurant? Yeah, Burger King. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's really true. So multiple... Multiple courses can have success. So yeah, I definitely have that prosperity mindset and opportunity opportunities are out there. So yeah, I think that's all that we had. I would just say like with these two mindset episodes, you know, if any of these help help you like reach out to Jacques or I and let us know if there was something that we said that helped you that feedback months or years down the road from when we record this. I know that if something I said helps you, like just hearing that from you would make my day. And I think, Jacques, I mean, when people send you little notes, like, is that still an exciting thing if they let you know? There, um, there is. Or, or do you just get or do you just get so many messages <laughs> that it means nothing at this point? Oh, man, the thank yous are just overwhelming at this point, David. No, man, that is that is one of my favorite things, if not the my, my fav most favorite thing, whether it's from my piano lessons or from from this podcast, the online course training, just people letting me know how anything that I was involved with had an impact on their lives. I mean, that's at the end of the day, what, what motivates me the most to, to keep going. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I pr appreciate that reminder. You know, if, if, if what we're, what we're doing here is helping, you know, let us know, we'd appreciate that as well. And don't, don't just let me know, you know, let David know too. He, he shared, you know, more value than I did in this episode in these pa past two episodes. So uh, on that note, I mean, Obviously, people can get in touch with both of us in the Facebook group that we have, the Online Course Community Facebook group. And by the way, if, if you're listening out there and you're not a part of that group, we want you there. It's, it's a fun group to be a part of, and it's totally free. But David, where, how do people get in touch with, with you if they want to? I would say just find me on Facebook. You know, we've talked about it, but I have a little bit of an addiction. So <laughs> send me a note. I'll write you back in like 30 seconds. David Crozy, K R O. H S E. Yep. Rhymes, right? rhymes with cozy. That's what we tell people here in my office. They get a chuckle. Cozy, crozy. There you go. Very cool. All right, David. Well, thank you so much for this topic. I think I mentioned it maybe in the last episode, but this was your idea. This was your topic. And I think it was a really good one. You obviously came very prepared with a lot of helpful information. Before we get out of here, I mentioned one more anecdote from from good to great that I wanted to share that went along with what we were talking about a few minutes earlier. And I just thought of it, wanted to mention that before we get out of here. And that was one thing he mentioned in that book is you want to, it, it's a, he uses a metaphor, uh, an analogy of a bus and you want to get the right people on the bus before you figure out what, what the, where the bus is going. So what he's saying is it's more important 
to have the right people than figuring out exactly what those people are going to help you do or the direction your company is going. He's just emphasizing how important the right people for you and your business is. And I love that analogy. I've probably shared it on the podcast before, but that was one of my biggest takeaways from that book. But I had forgotten about the mirror thing and I really like that as well. Yeah. And you did, I think you have an episode where you interviewed Emily, mm-hmm. talked about hiring and outsourcing. So in the show notes, Emily, you should add that that episode <laughs> number because if anybody wants to know how to find a really great employee as a course creator, I think that was, was that the episode that was most probably most beneficial. Maybe so. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll link to that episode in the show notes. I'm not sure which number it was at this point, but yeah, Emily is, is obviously listening to this, and and she'll put those in the show notes. And Emily, you're doing a fantastic job. Appreciate you very much. Fred's editing this episode. You're doing an amazing job too. Thank you so much, guys. Those are the main two people that work for me on a daily basis. So, and David, thank you as well. Not that you actually work for me, but you are a part of this as well. Thank you so much. So that's going to do it. Thank you, everybody out there listening. Once again, for all the show notes for this episode, you can find those at the onlinecourseguy.com slash 127. I mentioned, I mentioned that Facebook group where a lot of listeners are hanging out and a lot of past podcast guests, frankly, are there as well. That is the online course community. You can search that on Facebook or go to the onlinecourseguy.com click on community at the top. It'll take you right there. In fact, in the menu on the onlinecourseguy.com, I think that's the first one because to me, that's one of the most important things here is the community. And if this is your first time listening to the podcast, then definitely check out, well, there's part one of this of this two-part series. So check out 126. And then maybe after that, go to episode 89 because that's our online courses 101 episode. Thanks again, everyone. We'll talk next week. 